Thank you for listening to this episode of Liberation. I'm your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Today, I present to you Stephen Ozan. Stephen is the evangelist of the Will Clayton Church of Christ and also co-host of the Unadulterated Truth radio show in Baytown, Texas. Stephen will discuss his life growing up in the Fifth Ward of Houston, his boldness, the conversion of himself and his parents, and his missteps in and out of the church. Please enjoy the show. On the show with us today, we have Stephen Ozan, and I want him to tell his story. Um, Brother Ozan, tell us about yourself. Okay. Uh, well, I was born in uh, Fifth Ward, Texas, which is, you know, what we call Fifth Ward, Texas, just a community in Houston, Texas. And uh, we moved to the north side. We ended up moving back when I was uh, still young, about maybe eight years old. So I actually uh, continued growing up there where I was born at in Fifth Ward. And, uh, you know, I uh, went to uh, Phyllis Wheatley and then went finished my high school uh, education at James Madison after we moved later to a different neighborhood uh, around Hiram Clark. And so I met my best friend of life, uh, Ernest Adams Jr. We used to shoot a lot of ball together, pick up games, you know, uh, and uh, his father was in the military, uh, Air Force veteran, retired. And so he had an uncle that recruited uh, also uh, for the uh, Air Force. And so uh, that was a time when they were making it mandatory to register. And so we had registered. So they were requiring six years of service to the country. So I said, well, let me get my six years in now before they start some senseless war. And I don't have a choice because uh, at the time, not being a Christian, I didn't mind fighting for the country. The problem was I didn't want to fight a census wall where we weren't going to help the people just do a lot of damage and leave them hanging, so to speak, in limbo. So uh, before that time, though, uh, when we used to play ball, I met his cousin, uh, which is now my wife, Frances. Uh, and um, at the time, I saw her and I dropped him off at Astro World where we had an amusement park and he was and I and I asked him, I said, hey, man, who is that? He said, oh, that's my cousin. I said, man, I said, you got to hook me up, man. I said, he said, oh, man, he said, you know how you met him before. I said, OK, OK. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we were introduced and we went out on a date. You know, matter of fact, again, the Astro World. And we started dating, you know, at that time. And uh, neither she nor I were Christians at the time. But, uh, you know. I used to, at that time, began to uh, try and search for God, uh, studying behind my uncles who were Seventh-day Adventists and Methodists and things of that nature. And I was a Catholic. And so I was thoroughly confused at the time, but I thought I knew what I was talking about. And so as we began to date, uh, I would tell her about, you know, Catholic churches going in the wrong direction. They're not doing the things that we should be doing. And I remember telling her, I say, there's got to be a real church out here that's right. I said, when I find it, I'm, I said, I'm on, I said the word, I'm going to join it. I said, I'm going to tell everybody about it. Met her prior to you going to the military? Oh, uh, yes, I did. Yes. Uh, I met her about approximately maybe a couple of years before I actually went to the military. And uh, her, my, myself, 
and her cousin. We used to go places sometimes. We'd hang out. We had another friend, uh, Robin Fano, a good friend of ours. Uh, he, he's deceased now, but we, we would go places together and do things together. And so uh, at that time, though, uh, she began to apply and went to Prairie View A&M University and stayed on campus. And so I, I went to the military. Uh, that was around about uh, 1981. And so uh, while, I, while I went to the military, uh, we would communicate to each other and write letters. And she told me she had gotten baptized at Prairie View University. Uh, Brother Robert Harper was the minister at that time. And he would work on the campus also to help tell people about the Lord. And she told me, I found the church you're talking about. And I was like, okay. I said, oh, I say, well, I'm going to see when I get there. I said, when I get back to Houston, when I get out of service. And so uh, once my training was done, you know, I came back and so we kept dating and she would, she was more zealous than I was now because she had the truth and she would talk about the Bible. And, you know, after a while it started getting to me and I was like, every time we go out, we don't have to talk about the Bible, you know, cause I was still a sinner and she was a member of the church now. And so she, she dealt with me, you know, uh, at that level and then she'd bring it up again, give me tracks and we'd have some, uh, pretty, uh, stout debates. Uh, in the car, we were sitting in places we'd go, you know, and uh, all that I brought up, she was able to give me scriptures to show it was an error. And so uh, all of a sudden, you know, at that particular time, you know, I began to uh, understand more and realize that I would have to give up my lifestyle. I wanted to go to clubs and stay out late at night in clubs, two, three, four, five in the morning. I realized, you know, the sins I had in my heart would, would leave if I got involved with Jesus. I knew that. And I began to shy away from that because I did not want to give that up at the time. But I realized on uh, one of my military uh, maneuvers that we went on while we were away from Houston, I realized if I'd gotten killed or died in a car wreck, and we used to go into tunnel-like environments to uh, work on com computer lines or either uh, cable lines because uh, that's what I was, a, a cable splicer. And there would be gas. And now I knew, man, you know, this thing, if it isn't, the gas detector doesn't work right, we could get blown up in here. So I realized, you know, I, I need to uh, get back to Houston and get baptized. I made that commitment to the Lord and I was baptized. And uh, I owe my wife a great uh gratitude uh francis ozan for the uh patience she took with me and teaching me another gentleman uh who was a member of the church at the time donald gosey uh junior uh he also helped me to learn about the gospel uh at that time i began to visit the north wayside church of christ with her in houston texas and uh brother paul jones was a minister and still is now uh, many years ago, though, when I got baptized, and uh, I actually got baptized uh, in uh, 1981 uh, after coming back studying some more. I was so happy at that point. I knew based on what I'd read in the scriptures uh, that Saturday night, as I was looking over those tracks, uh, before I got baptized, I realized that this was the only group I'd ever been with 
religiously that could answer my question with a scripture. In Catholicism, you're given an answer, but it's not scriptural. It's very vague, as well as Seventh-day Adventist, Methodist, Baptist. My brother was a Baptist preacher, and he had left the Catholic Church. And I went to his church before this day, and I visited that. And I heard him preach, and I heard others preach that he was affiliated with. Uh, but I had no desire to be baptized. And he asked me one day, he said, you ready to get baptized? I said, no. I said, I see what you guys are doing. You're trying to do a good thing. I said, but no, nah, I'm not, I'm not ready. You know, and I would look at what they would do and I would say, you know, no, why I don't want to shout? Why I don't want to get up and run down the aisle? I said, I don't feel like that. And I said, but I think God loves me. And so I said, I, I don't know about this group. I had some doubts about them, which were valid scripturally. And so the idea is that when I uh, looked at those tracks, though, and when I asked Donald, and when I asked my wife Frances a question, they would go right to the scripture, which was mind-blowing to me, and give me the exact answer to the question, not knowing what I would ask. And I knew at that point, I said, this is the people of God. This is the group I've been searching for. And so I was no problem once I got past this one thing, LaCroix. The thing I was afraid of was that God would not forgive me because I did many sins and type of sins you don't want to talk about anymore. And I just didn't think that he would forgive me. Not that he couldn't. I thought he wouldn't. And so when I heard Brother Paul Jones preach that there's nothing you could have done that God will not forgive you of, and I was like, what? And I said, well, wow, that's it. That, that, that's the answer I needed, you know. And uh, I remember going up that day. It was the greatest feeling I'd ever experienced, uh, you know, to know that finally, uh, and I couldn't wait to do it, finally I would be a child of God. I'll be safe. And I knew then if I died after that day, as long as I will continue to study and be faithful, I will be safe with the Lord. And so, you know, uh, then we kept dating, my wife and I. And then uh, a few months later, uh, you know, I, I proposed to her and we were married in June 19, 1982. Uh, greatest day of my life other than getting baptized, you know. And uh, I used to have a Young person, the car, I would watch television while my mother was in there cooking. And I was a teenager and I'd be watching the Incredible Hulk and stuff. And I'd say, man, I'd say, man, you know, I want to be like my dad. i say, I want to have a wife. I want to have some children, a house. I want to have a job. And uh, i say, I want to go to church. You know, i say, that's the part I want to do different. Because uh, at that time, my dad wasn't going to church. He wasn't a member of the church. Uh, he would tell us about God, but he wasn't, you know, even going to the denomination of church regularly. And I said, that's what I want to do. That's the thing I want to do different. I said, I want to be that. I said, and uh, I want to live godly. And uh, she, I always tell my wife, Frances, she's my dream woman because I, I dreamt in my mind, daydream about her. And, you know, that's why the Lord, I love him so He's given me everything I asked for, everything I asked for, a wife, a wonderful Christian wife, two wonderful Christian children, uh, Sheena and Stephen Jr., uh, you know, and uh, 
giving me a home to live in, a way to feed my family, a job, and I've had businesses too. And this is a business I have now. And in addition to that, though, he allowed me to do what I said I would do, tell everybody I could, as many as I could, about the church that I see in the Bible, Church of Christ. And so um, I tell people all the time that uh, I'm one of the people on the earth that can say that uh, I have lived my dream and will continue to live it. And I thank God for allowing me to fulfill that. But I'm not through yet. There's many more mountains to climb and work to do. But uh, I always say if I die tomorrow, uh, I would die a happy man because I have definitely achieved the things that I sought out to do. And I'm just going to be doing more of them if God will. But I owe it all to him, his daughter, Francis, who taught me of the word. Uh, she wasn't afraid for me to reject it. And uh, she had let me know later after we were married for several years. She said, you didn't notice, but I had no intention on marrying you till you became a Christian. <laughs> she said, but I never discussed it with you. She said, because I didn't want you to uh, think, you know, you'd have to get baptized and married. She said, but I definitely had no intention on marrying you. Uh, you know, till you became a Christian. She, she said, then I wanted you to live it. I wanted to see would you live it. And she said, then, you know, I accepted, you know, around the time when you asked me to marry, you you know. And so I I appreciate that from her, you know. And so, you know, having said that, you know, so we have uh, at this point uh, 38 years of wonderful marriage, you know. Uh, Yeah, I thank God for that, you know. Uh, and, And, you know, the thing about it, you know, as I say is, you know, that blessing, you know, uh, was because uh, of her love for the Lord. And, 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 and I appreciate that. She says, you better get right, you dirty scoundrel. Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> Amen. That's it. So um, <laughs> we discussed before um, your life in the fifth war. And I, and I mentioned before growing up listening to the uh the ghetto boys and Scarface and things like that. It just seemed like the most, one of the most terrifying places uh, in the world to me. Uh, what was life like in the fifth ward uh, in your early days? Well, I, I tell you, uh, you know, it had the reputation uh, as the songs talk about. The difference is my mother and father, uh, Robin and Geraldine and they, uh, were watchful of me and my brothers. They uh, didn't let us go everywhere. Uh, they were real protective of who we were around. They wanted to know who were our friends. Uh, we had curfew time to come in, you know. And uh, so they watched us, and I thank God for them. Even as not being Christians, they were trying to follow principles that they could read about uh, in the Bible. And so, you know, uh, you know, they knew where we were at, who we were with. Uh, they would ask us, what's in your pocket? What's in your jacket? What is this? You know, they would go through things, you know, and uh, not overbearing, but, you know, just loving parents. And my dad did not spare the rod. Definitely. I thank him <laughs> for that, you know. And uh, so that was just a fact, you know. And my mother didn't have any problem. Uh, she was about five feet, but my mother would reach up and hit us so fast 
upside the head. You know, it was like you didn't even you didn't think sometimes someone else hit you. You know, and uh, she's so a little woman, uh, probably in weight, but about a hundred pounds. But she was very strong, uh, very uh, much uh, desirous to help us. Having had three boys, to not be in and out of jail and things like that. You know, I can safely say, you know, being 62 years old now, I thank God. I've never been to jail. My father told me, he said, son, I've never been to jail. He said, I don't want to catch you in no jail. And he would tell me, he said, if you go to jail, I'm going to tell you, I'm not coming to get you out. He said, unless you're innocent. He said, I don't know what your mama going to do, but I'm telling you, I'm not coming here. And I believe that. And so I would tell my friends, man, I can't do that because I'm going to go to jail. You know, and I did enough to go to jail for. I just didn't get caught, you know, thank God. But the idea is that, you know, that area was very uh, impressive to young people to sin. Uh, you know, uh, we had liquor stores all around. You know, we had uh, drugs around. But if you have a family that's going to look out for you and you have neighbors, you know, they would ask you, you know, they look out, you know, wondering where you at, where you going, you know, and they would they wouldn't have any problem telling your family, you know, if you were with somebody they thought you shouldn't be with. Mm. And so I appreciate the neighbors too, you know, and love them dearly uh as I grew up around them. But you know, uh uh you know, the ghetto boys I knew, I knew Bill, uh little Bill personally, you know, uh and that was from actually working uh for church's chicken uh around mangum street because he used to be in that area and uh you know i knew uh about them when they were recording and trying to develop before they had developed you know mm. and uh, but he was a nice guy to me you know uh bill was a nice guy to me you know uh you know he was a nice person in the community in a sense you know that uh people liked him you know, as well as the other guys, you know, as I got to meet them. But I saw him frequently, you know, because of uh, the area I worked in. Uh, you know, uh, he would speak, you know, he'd go out his way to speak and stick his head in the door and just say hello. You know, they were artists and they made songs, you know, and the songs were, you know, in line with, with the type of music that they were saying. But uh, they were genuine individuals, you know, that, uh, you know, that, were in the community, you know, that were doing things, you know, that I saw, you know, in their life that were, you know, positive stuff. You know what I knew about them, you know. Uh, they didn't, they didn't ever come at me incorrect in any way. So, you know, that's my impression of them. Okay. Um, and as far as military life, um, how do you think that's molded you? Um, how did that mold you early on in life and? Has any of that influence rolled over into your work uh, in the ministry? Well, you know, uh, a lot of times people say the military, you know, it, it, it taught me to be a man. But my father, Robert Ozan, taught me to be a man. Uh, you know, I went into the military a man, you know, and he had taught me and my two brothers, Mike and Jim. My brother Mike is deceased now, but uh, he taught us be men. He was a man's man around us, you know, in the community. Uh, after he got baptized, he was exactly, uh, you know, developed to what the Bible teaches us to develop. So before even baptism, though, uh, he had the understanding of uh, what his 
family and father and mother taught him, you know, to work, to be honest, you know, to uh, if you can't afford to buy, don't take it, you know. And so uh, I didn't need the military for that. Uh, I did learn a skill in the military uh, to uh, work on telephone and cable lines. I didn't exercise it because I was already a welder. When I had went into the military, I had a good job when I went in. It was waiting on me when I got out. But what I did learn in the military uh, to understand is rank, uh, rank and file. I learned uh, to understand to be a subordinate uh, amidst people who were not my family. Uh, my father taught me how to respect them before I went in how to work with them regardless of what their race was. My father experienced extreme racism growing up in Houston, Texas uh, as a young man uh, being born 1929. He grew up, saw racism at some of his worst points. Uh, you know, he experienced it at the hands of white, white policemen. Uh, having done no crime, I say I can say he never went to jail. Uh, so the idea of uh, never was arrested, you know, but nevertheless, you would talk to as if you were a criminal. And he explained that to me. But yet, not even being a Christian, he understood that God forgives people and we have to forgive. And he taught us that. And uh, he explained and taught us that there are good and bad men in all races. And he said, you're going to see it before you die. And so I would have a problem when I went to the military of having drill instructors that were, that were white, that would curse you out and say things. You know, I mean, it just it didn't bother me because he had already taught me to expect those things, although he hadn't gone to the military himself because uh, each time there was a draft, he either was married or he had a kid. So he would just escape the draft each time, not by intention, but it just his number would never be called up, you know. And so I'm thankful for that, that he didn't have to go and experience that horror. You know, I had uncles that did, you know, but that was, you know, the, the case that was there. But the idea is that, you know, so going through the military, as I said, got to work with people, different races. I enjoyed living in Houston and still do. Uh, I've always been here. It's always been diverse. Uh, I grew up in a uh, very mixed neighborhood. We had just about, man, you could just start naming a different race. We played together as children. Uh, so I didn't experience a lot of that uh, racism thing. I did see some of it on jobs, you know, uh, but the idea is that, you know, it is what it is, you know, but it wasn't going to change who I was because I saw my father live, raise us, enjoy his life amidst that type of thing, you know, and so uh, I understood that. And so he taught us to do that. You know, he taught us to be men and to treat other people uh, with respect, uh, men and women alike. And so, you know, I didn't see him beat up on my mother, you know, talk about her disrespectfully. So he showed us that area also in life, you know. So I learned how to work with people. And so through the military, you know, I understood, you know, that uh, there are people who are over you and people who are under you. And so, you know, uh, as I go to work in the church, I understand, you know, being a soldier, having experienced some of that, you know, having a weapon, uh, being told to do things specific, uh, the socks 
have to be to the left. If it's not to the left, they took your draw out and turned it upside down and threw it, slid it all the way on the side of the dorm. And everybody knew you had failed, you know. And uh, so, you know, I had to deal with that, you know. And so I understand that. And so transferring that to religion, I understand that God is specific. If I could do that for a human being who's going to die or we both may die in battle, uh, I understood that God is greater. So I don't have any problem understanding, okay, there's things you can do and things you can't do. And there are things that you allow, but you have to use wisdom because everybody might can't do what you can do. And so you don't do those things in front of everybody. And so, you know, you know, the Bible really is what helped me to develop to be a real man, which my father couldn't do because he wasn't a Christian until he became a Christian. And then once he became a Christian, he continued now to help me to develop into the Christian man. I am, although I got baptized before him because he's greater than me. And so the idea, all he lacked was like an Apollos, knowing only a certain type a way of religious thought. And so he became my counselor, uh, still in religion. Although I was birthed into Christianity before him, he still was my elder. And even though I had been before him in the religious understanding, I understood that he was still a greater man than me. And so uh, I understood staying a subordinate and uh, that's what God teaches us to do. At what point did you get into the ministry? After a while, you know, I began to study and uh, began to be allowed to teach some classes, you know, and that was that was beneficial. We worked with the youth first and uh, work with the teens. And then, you know, I began to teach the young adult class. And then then I began to uh, look at maybe one day preaching a message and brother Paul Jones and the elders there were very cordial, uh, very uh, compassionate toward me, uh, began to teach me. Brother Kirby Jones encouraged me to not be afraid. He's passed on now, but he told me, put some chairs from your kitchen table in the living room and just stand in front of them since you're afraid to speak and just teach. He said, just talk about some scriptures and read some scriptures because he didn't give me the, ex he didn't allow me an excuse like a lot of leaders do not wanting uh, young people to work. Uh, they'll say, well, if you're afraid, don't worry about it. You know, when you get past that, you can do it. No, he encouraged me. Uh, Brother Steve Young as well encouraged me to teach, to don't be afraid and gave me techniques don't look at people's faces. Look above their head. Look at the wall and you won't be so afraid. And so I appreciate that because in today, this generation we're in, older men are afraid of young men to rise up in the congregation. And they literally discourage them from rising up in the church of Christ because young men have a tendency to challenge the senior on things they're teaching that they still can't find in the Bible. And so, uh, but I came under a group that didn't have that fear. Brother Paul Jones never tried to stop me from preaching. He never 
stop me from asking him questions. Brother Paul Jones never stopped me from challenging him on subjects that I thought were not in line with the scripture. I, I thank him to this day for that. And the, the things that you see me that I've accomplished, I have to give Brother Paul D. Jones, uh, the minister to the Northway Side Church of Christ in Houston, Texas, credit for that because he personally pulled me aside and taught me everything he knew. Uh, he labored with me through my errors, my mistakes, and uh, corrected me in love and taught me uh, everything I know about the Bible today. And I appreciate him for that. I thank God for him. So what kind of conflicts? So if your mother was at peace um, with the situation, what were things like with your brother? Uh, I'm sure, you you know, siblings are siblings, but I'm sure some of those uh, dinner room tables were got a little uncomfortable. So how, how did you guys manage to uh, weigh those things out? That's a good, that's a good question, brother. Yeah. Uh, I uh, began to tell my family about the gospel. Uh, I needed some help, though, uh, with, this, with this Baptist preacher hovering around my older brother who was married, but still, you know, that influence was there. And I had an uncle who's passed on now, two of them, one heavy in the Methodist church and one was a Seventh-day Adventist. He influenced us greatly toward the Seventh-day Adventist era that they teach. And so uh, that was a big battle because my dad was caught between those two worlds, Seventh-day Adventist. His father was a leader in the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, when he was alive. And so it was a great influence pulling in different directions. So uh, I heard Brother Jack Evans Sr. preach the gospel at a gospel meeting one day at the Northway Side Church of Christ. And uh, he gave me the tool I needed, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. When I saw that, I said, this is what I need to defeat my brother, the Baptist preacher, because he was a pillar in the way of my family. And so uh, I went back and I sat down with my father and my mother, uh, sometimes individually, uh, and my brother as well. And the preaching brothers, well, who's passed on now. And I told them all about the gospel. And uh, the greatest challenge that came to me, Lacar, was with my mother. Hmm. And because uh, I loved her dearly. She was a great woman. She, she would risk her life if we were in danger. She came and got me one day that impressed my mother more than anything when I was in the Catholic school system. I missed the bus because we had a private bus, took us home. And my mother and dad, they made great sacrifices to try to keep us out of the rough public schools that were in Fifth Ward. And uh, so uh, I missed that bus. And I saw, I didn't know what to do. You know, everybody had left. All the teachers, everybody was gone. And I was kind of embarrassed to go tell the priest that I missed my ride. So I thought the bus would come back for me. And sometimes they would do that, but I'd miss the repass also. So unfortunately, I was sitting there and I saw that's a little small figure. My mother was very short, about five feet. She probably weighed 110 pounds soaking wet. So I saw this little figure coming way at the distance and I got embarrassed. I said, that's my mother. I said, oh man, oh man, she's coming to get me. I really feel 
bad. Now, you know, she don't have to walk me home. And so, but when she came, you know, she said, what happened? She said, I, I, I tried to call a bus. I couldn't reach them. And uh, she said, they said they hadn't got you. So I knew nobody picked you up. So as we were walking back, I was embarrassed. You know, mom had to come get me and stuff, you know. <laughs> and as we were walking back, my mother was very fast-skinned, even more fast-skinned than I. And a lot of people mistook her for white. Uh, and sometimes white people would criticize blacks when they were talking to her. And when they would get through, she would go, you know, I'm black. And they would be so embarrassed. Wow. You know, and it was, she would tell me the stories. And uh, she never tried to pass for white, you know. And so being from Louisiana, you have a lot of people like that. And so while we were walking, I'm embarrassed, you know. And as we got so many feet walking down, the Lord reached my mind. Just let me know. Now, you know, your mother came and get you here in this rough area you go to school in. And y'all got to walk on foot through this rough area. And it just hit my mind. This is quite a woman. So we got to walking and talking and we were laughing. And from that day, my brother, and I told her about it afterwards, you know, as I got older, from that day, my mother was like a hero to me. And I always told her and my dad, y'all are my heroes. I, I've never looked at movie stars or sports figures. Uh, nobody outside of my mother and father as a hero to know how to live. And especially after baptism, they really shine before me because they also have to remind me of things of the scriptures I got off track even as an adult man and so the idea is that uh, you know that was a that was something that needed to happen for me to understand the greatness of this woman so while we're sitting at the dinner table everybody else has gone to bed because my dad he has heard enough about the gospel so he went and got in the bed and my brother too so it was just me and my mother there Late at night, it's almost 12 o'clock. And so I have to finally tell her, Mom, I said, you know, I love you. I say, but uh, I love Christ more. And I'm talking to this great woman who's done everything for me. And I said, Mom, if you don't get baptized, I'll never see you again. I said, you, you'll die lost. I said, because when you see Acts 19, Paul has to baptize him again. I said, you have to get baptized. Right. I said, and if you don't, uh, I'll never see you again. You'll never see me again. I said, you won't go to heaven. And I said, if I didn't love y'all, I wouldn't tell you that. I said, but I do love you. And so she looked at me and she said, she said, thank you, baby. She said, I'm going to look at this some more. So I told them of a congregation uh, that was called the Southside Church of Christ. It's still in existence today. Brother Ulysses Turner Sr. was the evangelist there. And uh, Brother Paul Jones had told me about that congregation. He said they'll be safe visiting there. And so they were going there. And um, they were all going to Southside. And so I was glad that they were going. My brother was very combative. My brother Jim. And, uh, you know, he's a member of the church, but he's not faithful right now. I hadn't gone for years. But he was very zealous after baptism. And he got a lot of relatives baptized in our family. But he was very combative against the word of God. He was a fan of Jimmy Swaggart, 
And he thought Jimmy Swaggart was all that in a bag of chips, yeah. you know. And so it was a big battle, uh, a lot of unpleasant conversations at the dinner table. Uh, he would challenge me. So you saying our grandmother went to hell, you know, and I said, well, I can't put anyone in heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. And so he would challenge my dad's fate after they were even baptized. He's trying to say a mother didn't go to heaven. And I would have to pull my dad aside and tell him, I said, well, dad, you know, uh, I can't put nobody in heaven or hell. I said, but I can tell you this. Paul said, don't judge nothing before the time. But anybody that's not baptized in the church of Christ, the one we see in the Bible cannot be saved. I said, and that's as much as I can tell you. I said, you know, uh, you, I said, I know you loved her. Cause she passed before I was born. I was a child in my mother's womb. In her stomach when uh, she passed away. They were very close. So that was difficult for my mother to get baptized, knowing that that baptism would condemn her mother-in-law that she loved like a mother. So there was a lot of heartstrings pulled. But I got uh, a call one day from my brother after service. We were, uh, my wife and I went home and he said, hey, man, I got baptized. Me and dad. I say, what? He said, yeah, when I went up, dad came behind me. I said, man, that's a blessing. So I was so, so happy. Your, your dad ended up getting baptized before your mother? Yes, got baptized before my mom. And then so they told me, they said, well, you know, they were going to church faithfully. And my mother was going with them. And then he, I got a call a few months later. And he said, hey, man, mama got baptized. I said, man, oh, man, I just was in tears. I said, man, thank you, God. I said, wow. Because that night I left the house, the car, uh, I felt a burden off my heart and I said, uh, this I needed to do to validate my faith to God mm. and the Christ. I had to tell a person that I love dearly more than anybody else that they were lost. And from that point on, I had no problem telling other people, nah, you, you can't make it to heaven in that church because I love my mother much more than them. And I knew, I said, no, 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 I don't have any problem telling anybody, no, you can't be saved outside of Christ. And what you're in is not in Christ. And so, you know, we had a lot of challenges for them to get baptized because they said, well, you told us the Seventh-day Adventist was the one church. I said, yeah, that's because our uncle gave me that Bible and all those footnotes. Mm -hmm. I say, but when I compare them to the other scriptures, he's wrong. We can't go to church on Saturday and say that's the day the worship. I said, because the Lord pointed out that he's the end of the Sabbath. He's the end of the law. And he's the over the Sabbath, the Lord of it. I said, so no, I said, I was wrong. I said, I can acknowledge I was wrong. I said, but Paul had to do the same thing when he got baptized. Amen. To acknowledge he was wrong. So those are the scriptures that these great men of God, some of them are gone uh, from my presence and depth. Uh, now, but they're the ones that were able to give me the scriptures and teach me. And of course, my wife continued to teach me more uh, after baptism. I have no problem learning from women because the Lord broke me in early by having a woman teach me the gospel. So I never understood the struggles that men deal with on having women teach and rebuke them. I've never had that issue because my wife was the first as just being my girlfriend to tell me, you know, that I was wrong on the scriptures, you know, and she had no problem saying I was wrong. 
she did it with love, but she definitely stood her ground, you know, that I was wrong. And so, you know, uh, I couldn't get my other brother to get baptized. We had a lot of uh, discussions. Uh, he even told me that we teach the same gospel. So I took the book of Acts chapter 9, and after I got through about 18 verses or so, mm -hmm. through the majority of the book, that chapter, he stopped me and said, okay. He said, okay, you're right. We don't teach the same word. He said, you're right. Our doctrine is different. And he said, uh, I've never seen Acts chapter 19. And I said, well, how do you guys baptize? He said, well, we teach. We have a six-week course, and then after six weeks, we baptize. I said, well, what do you do if I'm in that class and I die in week four? He said, well, you're already saved based on your faith. I say, well, why did Paul have to get baptized? I said, he was a faithful Jew. He said, well, he didn't believe in Christ. I said, okay, then why did he baptize these 12 in Acts 19 that already were baptized with John's baptism and had been told according to Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, their sins are removed, and they're waiting on Christ. They sound like they're Christian. I said, why would he push the issue of baptizing them again? He said, well, I don't know. I, I, I never saw Acts 19. I have to study it more. And so he finally told me, he said, what if you come to the judgment since you're saying I'm not saved, and the Lord tells you you were wrong? I said, I, you'd have a better chance telling me that my name is not Steve, then for me to go to the judgment and think that God is going to deny his own word. Uh -huh. I say, you, you could tell me why well, your name really isn't Steve. You got it wrong. And I, I don't have a better chance to believe you. I say, because I'm reading the answer. I say, I just read you the answer. I said, Acts 22, 16 says, Paul has to be baptized right. and he's told to rise up to have your sins washed away. So, and so he said, well, he, he said, well, he said, well, we'll just have to end it at this. And so he told me, he said, we don't need to talk about the Bible anymore. And I told him, okay. I said, it's no problem, man. I didn't get mad. You know, we left it at that, you know. So he had plenty of time to be baptized, uh, you know, and uh, he was sick one day. He had some serious heart surgery and the church, we prayed for him and uh, he would make it through what the doctors thought, you know, were life-threatening surgeries. And he'd have strokes. He had amputations. And I always respected him and loved him. I would do whatever I could for him while he was alive. And any type of service, you know, that he needed. I, I had to bring him the bad news that our father had passed away. You know, while he was in a nursing home, my brother being in a nursing home, I had to go tell him. Our father passed away, you know, um, difficult days like that. But the idea is that one of his strokes he had, uh, I walked into the hospital and I'd visit him sometime late at night and they would usually let me in because I tell him, well, I'm a preacher, you know, I, I got to come and see you. this is my brother. And they would break some rules and let me in. Uh, and so one day I asked him after the last stroke he had, I said, uh, did you think any more about that information I shared with you? about salvation. And he said, Oh no, man. He said, no, nah, man. I, no, I don't think about that. Nah. 
I don't believe that. You know, and after that, Lacar, I, 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 I felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. I had peace. I walked away and I said, thank you, God, that he gave me the true answer. I said, thank you for letting me be an instrument to try to retrieve him to you so you could save him. I said, I feel good, Lord. I said, I'd like him to live more days. I say, but whatever happens here, I'm happy. I said, thank you that he was candid about the answer. I said, because I know you tried to save him and I can live with it, you know, and I didn't have any problem after that. You know, when he passed, you know, I didn't have any problem with it, you know, because I knew he had opportunity, you know, and so I was pleased that God loved him enough to surround not only him, but my whole family with many teachers that not only taught, but lived the life. So I've been at peace with it ever since. And, and, you know, the reason I asked, and I don't want to mean any disrespect, Uh I I think it's a a dangerous thing, um, Church of Christ or anywhere, for that matter. Um, And I, you know, speak that relatively, you know, as far as religious circles go, but for religious communities to have what they call a preacher evangelist, whatever the case may be, uh, teach lessons to the world. And if I heard you right, you said your brother had didn't even know parts of acts. Um, yes, that's, that's you're treading dangerous water. I mean, even if we have our own evangelists in the, um, in the body of Christ that can't, identify and talk about certain subjects then other than you know somebody that's just getting their foot warm that's a dangerous proposal to put people in because souls are at hand and if i'm dependent on an individual to be able to guide me to christ and they don't know certain things that's a problem I agree with you, my brother. Well said. And that's how that was my impression because I asked him twice the day first told me that. I said, You never seen Acts 19, 1 through 5? I said, and you are a seasoned veteran of the Baptist Church. Uh and so and I'm like, wow. I mean, that was mind-boggling to me. How long was he preaching at that point? Oh, he had been preaching at that point at least about 10 years at that point because he had already left that first church and uh, he hadn't gotten that second one yet. But it had been at least about 10 years at that time, you know, when we were having that particular discussion because we had kind of backed away from talking about the Bible. And actually this particular subject came up because He came over and he asked me a Bible question. What I did, LaCoy, to keep from aggravating him and my other brother, who when he finally became unfaithful, is I wouldn't bring up the Bible until they did. Now, once they opened that door, it was time to talk. (laughs) Yeah. And he opened the door that day. And so I I said, hey, come over here. Look at Acts 19 right quick. Mm. And, uh, and, And that's how I would do both of them. Because they they be, began to be aggressive towards me, and when they would 
get aggravated, I say, well, you know, you told me you didn't want to talk about the Bible anymore, but yet you brought it up and then you became aggravated when I made a comment. I said, nah, we're going to coexist as a family. You guys can't bring up the Bible. And then I just go, okay. I said, don't bring it up because I've got to respond. I said, because the thing you're bringing up is not truth. Mm-hmm. So they would pick safe subjects like, you know, God is good and you know, he blessing. But but once they opened it up, you know, it was fair season, you know. And so I, 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 I was allowed con- to comment. You lose a lot of context when you just cherry pick scriptures and, and I, let alone denominations. That's dangerous in the Lord's church, you, you know, because if you can't provide context to what you're saying, you can make yes. a you can make a sermon out of the lion's den and and forget about the whole purpose of it. Exactly, my brother. And you know, so uh, that particular route, you know, that they took. Uh, my brother Jim is very zealous when he got baptized. Uh, he got baptized within about a couple of years after myself, and uh, we had still some head bump conversations about weaning him from denominationalism. And then he began to propagate the gospel, challenge other brothers who were teaching false doctrine in the church of Christ. Mm -hmm. He began to baptize uh, many of my cousins that became members of the church, very zealous. But you know, when you see brethren go against the word of God, it can have a damaging effect. And so he saw some brethren go against the word of God and discourage others that he had gotten baptized. Mm. And that eventually eroded away at his faith. I tried to corral him and let him know that you can't stop going to church because of other men's sins, even my own, if you saw even me. Right. And so that, that caused him to back away from the church and uh, it's been over 20 years since he's been back to the church, Mm. you know, and I just pray for him, brother. Hopefully I may be gone. He may go back one day. Who can tell you never know who's going to leave this earth first, but my, my hope is that he will return. He does know it's the one true church. Uh, God was able to rouse her out of his mind that it's just like any other church. So he, that was a mountain to overcome, and but still to get back into the faith of being faithful, mm-hmm. uh, he has yet to do that. And and my fear is is that he won't make it back, and he'll die lost because he's back in a worse state. As Peter said, the dog has returned to the vomit, yeah. and so yeah. the idea is we can't be saved that way. Uh, so the thing is, you know, is that having said that, we. We were able to, uh, you know, accomplish a lot, uh, you know, together when we were working together as far as, uh, you know, having good discussions and uh, good studies. Uh, but those are uh, days past. And he also at a certain point years ago said, well, just don't talk to me about the Bible anymore, as my other brother did, you know. And I said, wow, you sound like Michael, the Baptist preacher. And so he just said, yeah, well, I don't want to talk about the Bible no more with you. I said, okay, that's no problem, you know. And so we kind of left it at that. You know, I still did what I could, you know, as I visited him, you know, as I still 
try to do today as I visit with him, you know, and uh, try to do any type of service I can for him. And he'll do the same for me. I love him and he loves me. But, you know, we have two different roles that we're traveling right now. You know, I can't give up that role because I do love Christ more than any human, including my wife and kids. And uh, he's done more for me than any. And, you know, bringing, bringing me to a point of unpleasantry is that, you know, uh, I'm an open and unfront person, you know, with everybody. And my life is a life that should give other people hope. You know, that was a time when I defected from the faith. Uh, I left my family. My daughter was probably about four years old. Oh. I went back to the world, you know, left the church. And uh, I just decided I wanted to live my life the way I want to live it. You know, I thought God would be with me still. Uh, I thought he would uh, bless me because I thought we had a special relationship, God and I. I thought I was special to him more than others, as a lot of sinners do that are in the church of Christ. And so I was gone for the church probably for about two and a half years, began to live a life of sin. But the Lord came back a second time and I didn't do as Solomon did. Uh, I listened to him on round two. It didn't take round three. And so I came back and asked my wife to forgive me. She did. Uh, I came back to my family, but I still didn't think I was worthy enough to go before the law because I got into an extramarital affair by choice mm -hmm. and uh, tried my best to divorce my wife. But uh, I just had second thoughts about making those final divorce payments. I would have the money in my hand, LaCarne, I'd go, all I got to do is go give it to the lawyer. And, and my mind just would not do it. And I know it wasn't nothing but the Lord. And I said, no, nah. let me wait, let me wait, let me wait, let me make sure. And so once I got back with my family, began to be a father again and a husband, uh, challenges came my way. And the devil convinced me that you're not worthy to go back to the Lord's house. You're not clean, which it was right. Uh, but I realized I had sisters and brothers that I tried to encourage me, a great sister in the faith, Sister Josephine White. She would come by and visit the job and say, come on back to the church, brother. She said, you know, uh, God will forgive you. You just got to come and confess your sin. Amen. I love that sister. Today. She's a great friend to the family. But Sister Josephine just would not leave me alone. <laughs> she keep come bothering me. And I try to hide if I saw her come to work. Try to hide in the back of the restaurant like I wasn't there. And uh, she said, tell Stephen I'm here. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the type of people you have to have in your life, Brother Coy, to Amen. keep you from going to hell. So, so one day I said, well, I got to go back. I'm not going to be saved. I, I finally realized through study I was back at point A again, starting point in life. 
And I felt the same way that Saturday night, that if I didn't make it back to church, I'd die lost. So I made it that Sunday morning, you know, and uh, when they made the opportunity for people to come forth and be baptized or to make confession, I felt the same way. I said, man, I can't wait to get up here. I can't wait to get up here. And my wife didn't know again I was going to do that. Now she's my wife. So I made it up there. Man, I thought I was going to pass out. I felt so weak. <laughs> and I confessed to the brethren, you know, I've sinned. Uh, I left my family. And they knew that. They all knew me. Right. I went back to the same congregation I left. And I said, uh, I hope y'all forgive me. I said, my wife's forgiven me. God has forgiven me. I hope y'all will forgive me. I said, uh, I went back to the vomit. I said, but God has rescued me the second time. I said, I said, I give y'all my word. I'll never go back again. And I haven't. Amen. That's been over Amen. 28 years and I've never looked back. And I thank God. And so brother LaCoy, uh, I do have a special relationship with God now, but it's not like I thought mm-hmm. it's a relationship that a lot of people don't get, but he offers it to all. He came back and got me twice, brother. Praise God. And uh, I'd have to have somebody kill me for me not to go to worship on Sunday. I'd have to literally be dead or incapable of movement uh, because uh, he's been too good to me, brother. I tell him all the time, you didn't have to come get me twice because I'm nothing to you of value like that. I wasn't a valuable teacher. I wasn't some great orator when I left. So I often wonder why, why would you come get me? I really wasn't nothing and I'm nothing now. I mean, I don't teach anything so profound where somebody goes, man, this guy is the greatest speaking to brother. So, you know, but it's just his love for us, brother LaCoy. Uh, it's nothing we bring to the table. At least I didn't have anything to bring, but you know, every time I take the Lord's supper, I remember the first time, I take it, and I remember in tears thanking him. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd make it back. Brother, when you leave the church after you've been in for about eight years like I was, the church looks like a patch of trees thousands of miles from you. It looks like you're so weird. You can never get there. You always pass out and you wake up back into the world again. That's how I felt. And uh, when I made it back to church, brother, it was like a journey that you didn't think you could physically make it. You thought you'd die and you couldn't get there. So uh, I'm ever grateful to God. And it is like being in the wilderness. You can see the kingdom. You can see the church spiritually, but you don't have strength to get back. Mm. But he empowered me to get back. And I remember standing at the door of my wife's bedroom as I dropped my daughter off for my visitation with her, which I could have seen her as many times as I wanted. But I didn't want to because I felt it would draw me back. And I was so deceived by the devil. But I remember seeing them standing one day at the apartment gate. It was just like I'm talking to you. It was just like I know it wasn't God's literal voice with it as he pressed on the hearts of the apostles. I could feel them tell me, why is your family standing over there and you in this car? What are you doing over here? And just as if somebody would say, this is your last chance. I'm not going to give you another time to go back. 
And so I know it wasn't audible, but the impression was there. And so I went before and I asked, I couldn't even talk. She looked at me and she said, what do you want to say? She looked at me. She said, you want to come back, don't you? I said, how did you know that? Because I hadn't told anybody that. She said, I've been praying for you, Steve. I said, wow. I said, man. So I was very emotional. It's emotional now, you know. Uh, and so I said, well, I said, just give me a few days. I said, because I got to pray for strength. I said, because I don't want to deceive you. And so, you know, came back. She accepted me back. You know, we've been back together ever since 28 plus years back together. Mm-hmm. 37 years total marriage. And uh, so uh, and we have a new son, you know, that was born to us. He's 17 now, you know. And so that was a, an additional blessing that God gave us to the union. You know, we had some sorrowful days. We had a couple of miscarriages in there. Mm. You know, which we were very devastating to me and her. Uh, you know, they were very devastating. Each one took a heavy toll on my life. Uh, and, you know, uh had to sing songs to the Lord uh, when I would get the report the child didn't make it. You know, so mm. very traumatic. I uh, feel for people who go through that. A lot of people don't think it's like a real burial debt. Uh, because a lot of times they hadn't experienced it, but it is. It wouldn't have been any more devastating had I held them in my arms, you know, because death is death, right. you know. And so the idea is that, you know, uh, but you get past those things and God, you know, helps you through, you know. So uh, uh, it's been a blessing, though, that the saints of the North Wayside Church of Christ received them with love, you know, back into the fold. That's why I don't understand congregations that can't be forgiving and cannot accept brethren that return, you know, and they actually encouraged me to get up and do works again. They encouraged me to know you can't just sit down. You have too much knowledge. God won't receive you. So I went through different stages. I tried to be the uh, seat warm in the church and brother James Young, of the South Union Church of Christ. At the time we were worshiping together, he said, Steve, you can't just sit down now. He said, God's still not going to receive you. He said, you got to get back on the plow and work, man, you know. And so I was like, what? I've got to do even more? Oh, my goodness. You know, there was like different stages of growth uh, because I really didn't want to get back into that arena. I knew the fierce battles that would take place, how brethren would hate you for repeating the truth how now they have extra ammunition and say, how can you tell us something? You left your family. Mm. So I heard that more times than I wanted to, you know. But, you know, those battle scars, they become scars. And, you know, you become stronger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just shake it off and continue to try to reach for their soul, you know. And so, you know, it's been a blessing. And God has been, you know, with me mightily. And I thank him for that. That's praise God, praise God. Now, this the the extramarital affair. How did that impact? Um, like you're saying, your brother stopped attending. Um, of course, your other brother was a Baptist minister, and you know various other family members. Did your episode damage their faith? Well, no, my brother had already stopped going to the church for 
Oh, man, I think at that particular time, he had been out of the church uh, for a few years, maybe two or three, something like that. Yeah, he uh, he understood. Matter of fact, uh, it strengthened him when I came back to her uh, because now he could see, well, he could come back to church. But it didn't have that effect. I thought for sure it would have that effect on him to encourage him. Well, this guy went back to church uh, and he lived the life of a sinner. Matter of fact, he used to tell me, you know, you need to come back to your family and come back to church. But he wouldn't go back to church. You know, it was amazing. You know, my other brother being a Baptist preacher, he he had experienced that in life himself, you know, Mm -hmm. left his family, you know, and uh, did not come back, you know. So uh, I thought for sure it would have an effect on him. Because I told him the only reason I was able to do this is because this is the one true church. I have the strength because I have the Holy Spirit in me, which you lack. And I told him, if you would let the Holy Spirit enter you in baptism, you would have strength to preach the gospel. But, you know, he never used it against me, you know, uh, because he didn't do what I did, come back to his family. So it didn't uh, do anything but have an opposite effect on him to further show him, you know, he should be baptized. Because I never gave credit to myself, only to God, you know, and the Holy Spirit being in me. How, how, how did these things affect your parents since you guys had worked so hard to pull them out of the grasp of uh, Catholicism? Um, was there any level of disappointment from your parents? Oh, yeah. My mother, she avoided me like the plague. Yeah, hmm. she would. She would. If if they told her I was OK, that was good enough. You know, hmm. she might would call to see if I was still living, you know. And uh, she wouldn't have much to say. And I talked to her about it after I came back to my family. She said, yeah, son, I was avoiding you. She said, because I was very disappointed in you. She said, and I was very angry with you. Because she loved my wife. She loved my wife like a daughter. Mm -hmm. And she called her her daughter, you know. And uh, my dad, too, he was very angry with me, you know. And uh, it was just, it was very awkward when I came around. Very awkward, you know. And you could tell it was just, you know, when is when he gets through it, when is he going to leave to go wherever he goes to live, you know? And, uh, you know, because uh, they, they just love my wife, you know, they never had a girl. So they treated Frances like their daughter. They were very happy with her. So it was a blessing to come back and, you know, have uh, 20 plus years of them seeing that, okay, he really is back to stay. You know, and that that gave them great comfort as as they left this earth, you know. And so my wife was, yeah, she was very, very much like a daughter to them. She went, took them places that they needed to go when illness came. You know, she she did more for them than I did, to be honest. You know, Uh, she would go shopping for them, you know, and do a lot, you know, Uh, take my son over there, you know, because I would be working a lot sometimes. I'll be working, driving trucks and things, you know, and preaching, of course, you know, but I just, you know, when you do two things, man, you know, you blessed to get any sleep, you know, yeah. but I always was around my family. You know, I mean, I was a guy that understood my mother taught me when I got married. She said, now, son, you play a lot of basketball. She said, and you got some real close friends like brother. She said, but you know, you got to leave all that. Right. She said, you married now. 
She said, you're going to have to tell them boys you're married and you can't be shooting no ball and chasing around with them. And I took that to heart. I did it, brother. You know, I put the basketball up. I retired from shooting ball. I think I shot two games with them the whole time I was married, you know. And those were like within the first two years of marriage. That was it, you know, because I took her advice, you know, and, uh, you know, because those guys were single, you know. She said, you married, you understand? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, okay. She said, you don't want to cause no trouble, son. You got a good wife. I said, yes, ma'am. So, you know, that was the best advice, you know, that I got and uh, I took it to heart, you know. And, and were they able to to remain faithful still after these episodes as far as with the body of Christ? My mother and father? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They thought I, they thought I'd lost my mind and I did spiritually, you know, but yeah, they didn't miss the beat. Yeah. They stayed faithful, you know? And, uh, so, you know, that, that was a blessing, you know, to see, uh, my father, uh, years after I'd gotten back, once again, brethren discouraged him, uh, from some of the ways they were living. And he stopped going to church for a couple of years, you know, and I would try to call and encourage him, you know, and uh, he went back after a while because, you know, I let him know. Because, uh, see, my brother was there as an example, never going back, you know. So that was just so easy to see, you know. Yeah. I said, I said, you can't use his example, Dad. I said, you know, you can't use that. I said, because you're not going to make it to heaven if you don't go back. I said, he's not going to make it. I said, but you're not going to cause him to be forgiven by the Lord by you not making. I said, you got to go back. What God's what he does. So after a couple of years, he called me and he said, yeah, I went back. So I said, well, wonderful. You know, he was very faithful, you know, continued after that, you know, and, uh, you know, very strong in the church, you know, uh, helping brethren to remain confident. We had many good conversations uh, that he and I would talk about the Bible all the time. You know, he would tell me what he's been studying and I would do the same, both he and my mother, you know, we talked about the Bible all the time. So, yeah, it was that, uh, you know, my hope, uh, you know, is that they stood before the Lord and, you know, were allowed to any. And that's my hope. And I hope to live right that, you know, I will get the same. And hopefully if we all did what was right, we should see each other again. Amen. Amen. So you went back to the church. Um had to double down on your commitment, if you will. Uh, so at what point did you start becoming a servant? Like, are you done the teacher thing? Was there like a, a gradual evolution? Was it deacon, elder? Um, how, how did that progress? Well, I was the deacon and that's when, uh, you know, I left my family. Uh, and oh, okay. when, I came, yeah, when I came back to the church, I actually resigned. I, I gave him a letter. I asked him, please read it while I was still there. You know, to let them know what's going on, you know, because I didn't want to try to hide it or make it. My wife hadn't done anything warranted of me leaving. Always been faithful to me. Never have been unfaithful, you know, in all the years we've been married. So I want everybody to understand it was me, you know. I was like Solomon, drunk with sin, but I still had the wisdom to know it was only one true church. I knew that. And no, in my mind, LaCoy, I said, these people are too holy for me to be around and I need to get out of here, you know, and I, and I, and I was right. They were, you know, and uh, I told them I need to get away from y'all. Y'all don't understand. I'm not right. Mm. I need to get away. 
And that's, you know, sometimes you have to tell people leave, but it's good when you can leave yourself, you know, and get out the way and let others be saved. But thank God he didn't give up on me, rescued. And so, you know, when I got back, I, I got to teaching. And one day, Brother Jones asked me, you know, after I'd proven I was going to be back to teach a class, I taught. And then after that, you know, uh, I told him I'd like to preach. He worked with me. So I, I delivered a few messages. You know, I had other great men now, greater than me, like Brother Greg Jones. He preaches out in uh, Bryan College State when he's much stronger, greater man than I am. And so he was there preaching, you know, and so I was trying to learn from them, you know. And so uh, we ended up, you know, uh, after a while I got to uh, – Working with Brother Robert Harper, he was at the Holland Heights Church of Christ at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so they had some congregations they were working with. So I wanted to go out and just really help congregations. Uh, really, initially, my goal was to help. I heard reports of older evangelists getting sick and younger evangelists coming in, taking the congregation from them. So I told Brother John, I said, well, I'd like to just go fill in when these guys are sick. And then when they get back to help, I'll leave and then they can get the work going again. I said, so nobody won't take the work from them because you have a lot of wickedness within the kingdom. And it's just the way it is. And so he so he said, yeah, he said, that sounds like a good plan. He said, sounds like a good plan, you know. Uh, and so once they began to say a lot of congregations don't have evangelists that are true and want to do the work. So. I threw my name in the hat, you know, because uh, there wasn't a big need for filling in. So, you know, I said, well, I'll just throw my name in the hat. And so I went over to Holland Heights and began to work with them. And then after a while, I said, well, I don't look like no more congregation opening up. I said, well, that's all right. I said, I'll just serve here. I'm fine, you know. And then so we found a building in Humble, and there was an old bakery, but it looked kind of like a church building. So we Went into that building and uh, started, the at that time, the Wilson Road Church of Christ. It was on Wilson Road. We began to preach 2003 of January. And uh, it was myself, uh, Brother Anthony Young of the South Union Church of Christ, and Brother Philip Brown, who was at the uh, North Wayside Church of Christ at this time. He's at the Aldine uh, West, uh, forgive me, the Westfield Church of Christ, now working with them. And Brother Dwayne Hamilton from Holland Heights came over with us, and he's now at the uh, another congregation uh, working the 249 Church of Christ, Highway 249. And so we started to work. Dwayne Hamilton, yeah. I was wondering what happened there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's doing good working with them. I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He called me. So uh, we began to preach the gospel and baptize and work uh with the church uh i went to what well, we used to have a brotherhood meeting which we still do i went to work uh to visit with those brothers on meetings they would have and try to learn from them and so we began to hear some false doctrine creep in that so we began to challenge them myself henry stevenson uh the third who is the evangelist at the uh goose creek church of christ in baytown texas and i worked with brother james brooks the evangelist to the Myrtle Avenue Church of Christ in Long Beach, California. He was at the Huffsmith Church of Christ in Tomball at that time. And so we began to challenge those brothers. And so the brothers got a little upset with us and uh, began to 
not want us to ask too many questions. Then we had lessons we would deliver and they would get upset. We would teach against men wearing titles like doctor and things like that because they had friends they adored that wore those titles and that, that caused friction. And so what ended up happening is one day Brother Theester Malloy rose up, was the evangelist at the time when he was living uh, at the uh, Fidelity Church of Christ. You know, uh, this, this, you know, I've talked about this years ago while he was living, so I'm not saying it after he's gone. He told us if if you and Stevenson and Brooks don't like what we teach here, why don't you go to Baytown and preach and you go to Tomball and you go to Humble and preach and don't come in no more. And I said, amen. I said, thank you for telling me. And I did. I didn't go anymore. To now, this meetings. is why you were still at Highland? No, this is why we are actually at Wilson Road Church of Christ preaching, yeah. Oh, you were at yeah, without, when our first year there, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I just said, well, thank you. That was the best advice Brother Malloy ever gave me, to get away from those brothers and himself for the false doctrine that they were teaching. You know, that was good advice, and I took it to heart. And, uh, you know, and we've been preaching out there ever since, you know, in the humble area. And uh, we've accomplished much, you know. And so uh, uh, I think Henry and Brother James Brooks, kept going for a few more meetings and they eventually left. And uh, they would ask me, well, come on back to me. I said, no, nah, brother. I said, I got work to do, brother. I said, I'm strung out with work. I said, we're trying to develop elders and deacons and other evangelists. So, said, when, so when you left, what congregation did you end up at at that point? Oh, we were still at Wilson Road. Yes, we're actually at the, see, the Wilson Road work started in 2003, January. And this was about, oh, uh, about within a year of knowing that meeting was going on, I was going there. And this was about six months after being at Wilson Road. And uh, that's when that statement came out, you know, go back to Humble and preach. And I said, thank you, I will. So, the, so, I, so the guy that told you that, you yeah. you were filling in or you were at his, at the congregation? No, no, we were actually, I was an evangelist and we had to work going. I was a lead evangelist at Wilson Road. And I was I was at that particular time doing all the preaching and the Bible classes, too. But we began to challenge them upon the things they were teaching. They were beginning to go beyond the scriptures. Mm -hmm. A lot of traditionalists were there, you know, and we would we had an open forum where we brought a lesson and then you would question the lesson afterwards. And they were trying to develop men, but unfortunately, they were underdeveloped, some of them themselves. And we began to, you know, go against stuff like teaching 10% plus. Richard Barclay would come to the meetings, and Richard was fond of people who wore titles of doctor, which he has one now. So we would challenge Richard Barclay. He was like a love child of the group because he was very flamboyant and eloquent, and they loved that he would come. He gave the meeting a reputation. And so by us challenging him, that caused him not to come to a lot of meetings. And then, of course, we became the black sheep, so to speak, that we were challenging those that brought glory to the meeting with our questions, you know. So it began to be where we were like a third you know, person on a two-man, two, a man-woman date, you know, like third wheel. So, 
it's time for y'all to go, you know. And they said it in a nice way, but I took it as a blessing from God and a message from God to get out of here while you still got my spirit in you leading, you know. So that, that's, that, I, that's what I took it as, you know. And I still receive it that way today, you know. And I, I, I don't have any problem with any of the men that are still alive that are a part of that. And I've gone to a couple of meetings in, you know, the many 16 years that we've been at that work working. But, uh, you know, uh, brethren have invited me to come back. But I've told them, I said, nah, brother, I'm saying, because, you know, you guys doing your thing here and I don't want to be a part of it. And I just wasn't, that's as nice as I could say it. You know, I said, brother, I'm, I'm real about what I do. I'm just a servant. I don't want to be nobody and I'm not nobody. <laughs> I don't run the church where I'm at. We have, we have leaders there designated. Uh, you know, I'm just a servant there, you know, and I've always been that way. You know, before we designated elders and deacons, uh, we've always had meetings to make decisions. I've never tried to run the church. I'm not qualified. That's Christ's job. Amen. So, Unadulterated Truth Radio Program. Uh, how did that come about? What was what was the original plant stages of that? How did that, who, who 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 organized that? I tell you, I'm glad you brought it up. That's one of the most fascinating things uh, in my. 16 years of being allowed to preach the gospel and serve God and man is that I met Henry because we were in a, we were actually in a questioning battle with a brother and brother James Brooks was facilitating the meeting at that time. And I was challenging a brother on his position concerning the Holy spirit and that allowing to be taught that the Holy Spirit doesn't, isn't, we're not baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he was one of the ones advocating that. And I said, brother, I said, that's gospel teaching. Well, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. I said, you just think it means speaking in tongues. I said, that's what the Pentecostals lie about. I said, but we're not Pentecostals. We're Christians. And so while I was doing that, Henry reached over. I'd never met him. He said, they're not listening to you. And I turned and looked at him and I, and I said, I, I thought in my mind, I said, who is this guy who can see what I'm dealing with? I said, he can actually see what's happening. So I realized it wasn't just James Brooks and I, that we had Henry there. And so I met Henry. We got to talking. And so, you know, we've been friends ever since, you know. And uh, matter of fact, I met he and James at the same time, you know. Uh, that same uh, within that same month, and so because it was a it was a horrible battle because I was outnumbered, and uh, you know being younger, I was supposed to not know nothing about the Bible, you know, mm. and so uh, compared to them, and I wasn't trying to propagate idea, but the, the subject was so off centered, I was like, you guys are almost turning into Catholics here, you know, from what I'm hearing, and so uh, one day Henry had an idea of uh, having a radio broadcast where the gospel would be taught, but the programs we had were only teaching them about baptism. They weren't teaching about issues of the church. And so Henry said, I'd like to go at it from an angle of issues of the church. I said, man, I like that. Brother James said so too. So uh, he got to meet Mr. Darrell Martin, 
uh, who's the owner of KWWJ, who's been very cordial to us for uh, these particular 16 years. And so uh, he's been real nice to us to allow us to be on the program because we do say things contrary to his own belief system. But he said that's the type of format he wanted for people to speak freely. Mm. And so uh, we thank God for him being allowed to be the overseer of that, that we are blocked from the station. Mm. And so uh, there was three congregations uh, supporting it. Uh, Wilson Road, Huffsmith Church of Christ. And uh, at the time, Henry was at the Handcomer Church of Christ. And so uh, all of a sudden, Henry went to uh, White Park Church of Christ. And uh, they didn't want to support the program because they had a program. So it left James and I. Then James left to California to preach. So it left Wilson Roll with the program for many years by itself. And then uh, Henry ended up being at the uh, Goose Creek Church of Christ, and they wanted to be a part of the program. So we had now two congregations, but it was difficult for uh, the particular thing to work properly because of the financial burden, because we had other churches, uh, LaCoy, that uh, they wanted to have programs like that. But the program was so expensive, LaCoy, that you had sometimes five congregations trying to support one program. And here were all these two small works and at one time, one small work supporting the program by ourselves financially. But uh, uh, Mr. Martin was very cordial in that he would not go up on the price. None. And he said that was his commitment and his idea of serving God, that he would never change the price if the program was about the Bible. And that's what I was always been. So we've been paying the same price for 16 years, thank God. But, you know, still it's a price. That cost, and you have to have that cost. And so uh, we ended up uh, where even our congregation couldn't support it anymore by itself. And so what ended up happening is we got saints to help out individually, you know. And to be honest with you, we walked out on faith uh, about maybe, I want to say, oh, man, about maybe... Uh, six, seven years ago, right about six years, where Henry, myself, and Brother Javier Frias, who's a gospel preacher with us at the uh, Will Clayton Church of Christ, and was preaching with us when we were Wilson Road. And he's been on the program. He was filming us on there and working behind the scenes, but he's been actively involved for several years. Great evangelist. I've learned much from him. And I get to talk to him, you know, while we're driving there each week. So I've learned a lot from him. Uh, and so the idea is that uh, we three said, well, if the churches can't support it, we're going to step out on faith. So we had one week since we've been in existence where we weren't on the air because of finances, one week only. And then we regrouped and got the money together and We've been on there ever since again, you know, with the support of three men only. Wow. And that tells you God's power. We took three preachers out of their own pockets versus three congregations that couldn't afford to take care of the program. Wow. 
And so that's the power of God. And uh, that's why when people tell me uh, what they need, I say what you need is faith, just a mustard seed, and God takes care of the rest. So we've had other saints that have contributed. Brother Robert Polk, a gospel preacher uh, uh, at the Salem Circle Church of Christ, been a big contributor and helper to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brother Donald Valier and his family, who was a faithful elder at the Goose Creek Church of Christ, he's participated, as well as others, you know, uh, who've done those things. Uh, the Salem Circle Church of Christ, they helped us uh, before multiple times, as well as other saints, you know, uh, you know, just sending in uh, different uh, gifts and blessings, you know, uh, individuals, you know, uh, in Atlanta area, we have saints who've helped out also, you know, uh, in that area, just just different saints. You know, I can start naming names. I'm going to get in trouble. God forgive me because I forget some names. But, you know, we thank all the saints who participated, you know, sisters as well, you know, uh, sending in benefits, you know, uh, to help out, you know, uh, uh, matter of fact, uh, brother, uh, uh, I just I'm just, I'm stuff forgetting names, but, <laughs> but I, I know, you know, it's been a blessing, you know, uh, to have them help out, you know, uh, with what they do, uh, you know, uh, sister Tanya and her sister Sonia, the mother, uh, of Atlanta, you know, and Carolina areas, they've helped out, you know, wow. uh, and so it's been a blessing, you know, uh, to have that, you know, a uh, Tracy of Atlanta, you know, brother Tracy, uh, you know, he actually got baptized by hearing the program, you know, and uh, was able to hear more gospel taught and uh, been a faithful brother ever since. Very strong in the faith, you know. And so, it, it, you know, it's just it's been a blessing. It's been a good life. It, it truly astonishes me, astonishes me the, out, the power of the outreach of the show. Um, I think you know, even in the power of social media, I think I joined Twitter maybe around 2016, 2015, 2016. I I forget exactly. And, um, you know, I wanted to make my presence. I won't say make my presence known, but I wanted to make sure I was affiliated with the bodies of Christ and not be sucked in and filtered into a lot of unnecessary garbage that you know social media can provide right and there was a um young lady on there who i think at the time would be able to interact with whether it was brother Frias or Dwayne, whoever was man in the um wilson road church of christ um twitter account at the time and by me following her and her reposting the videos is how I found out about you guys. Praise and God. You were exactly. And then, you know, we watched the the replays of the video. Then it got to the point where I'm anticipating, like, I don't feel like waiting till Monday or Tuesday for the video to post. I'm paying attention to the radio program. I'm going through my phone, trying to find out how can I stream live. So it, it, it's been a powerful study tool. Um, it's it's definitely helped me at times grow. It, it also gave me the courage to be able to reach out to you guys to, you know, see where I'm lacking and help me understand things uh, um, more clearly. The the marriage divorce thing that that kind of um, turned my world upside down. 
Um, and to hear it and to be able to have guys that can pinpoint it at the drop of a dime um, was truly amazing. Um, and, and I thank God for you guys and, and, and just your YouTube, the outreach. And, you know, I've heard you guys mention that people from India and you've invited people to get baptized from all over the four corners of the world. It, it, it really speaks to the power of, of the congregation and, you know, even how it says in the scriptures that the uh, disciples, 12 men turned the world upside down. The fact that you guys are a small congregation and and three men are, are, are the ones that are mainly contributing are having such impact in the United States. So praise God about it. God bless you, brother. Thank you for that encouragement. Yeah, you know, it's amazing, brother Dwayne Hamilton, you know, he, myself and Henry, uh, you know, we began our program and uh, brother Frias actually started filming us after we was on the air. I want to say for at least about six years and brother Frias started filming us. And then brother Frias, Javier Frias, we have to thank for taking us to the actual next level because brother Frias uh, went to school for IT training and, you know, he took what he uses to make a living and to bless not only the saints, but the world. And he formulated and created the YouTube channel, uh, the Twitter account. Uh, I think he also has something on Instagram. I can't remember all the different avenues, Facebook. And he actually himself mans the answering of questions. Wow. That we've ever had come in, in in and of himself. I mean, you know, he's just he's like, you know, like you have the guy who plays the drum and he plays a guitar and he plays a harmonica. Yeah, that's Javier Frisch, you know. And uh, that that great man of God, I'm telling you, he he edits it. And you know, while we were he was on that, he started with asking us questions afterwards when he first started filming us. And then Brother Hamilton was telling Brother Frisch, you ought to come on the program and say some things. He was like, nah, nah, you know. And then eventually he came on, and man, that was a day, like, you know, like you say, wow, now the floodgates are opening up. <laughs> and so Brother Hamilton, job turned against him and began to force him mandate to work on Sundays. And he's been working on Sundays ever since. And, you know, it was a blessing that Brother Frizz had already stepped into the arena. And so we, it was just like we never missed a beat. Uh, he's, he's very articulate. He has a real good, even temper about him. You know, uh, he's like Henry, very smooth and able to answer the questions patiently. Very knowledgeable, especially being a young man, very knowledgeable a student of the Bible, and, you know, the idea of Tyler's energy, uh, he also developed in his mind and said, well, hey, let's not just put the radio program on, let's put some of the messages on. And so he began to do that, you know, and then he started putting the morning messages on and uh, then, you know, answering the questions once again, doing all that different thing, then to Wednesday studies, and, uh, you know, the idea is a sister from Louisiana encouraged him to put the night messages on, too, because she visited <laughs> us one day, you know, and he took that to heart. He's a very, very humble brother, open to 
ideas and, and it, you know, he took that and ran with that also, you know. And so we thank God for that faithful sister in the law for encouraging him to do that. And so, you know, it's just been a blessing, but I don't know where he gets the energy, brother. I mean, this brother, you know, he preaches. He'll preach at the congregation. He'll teach Bible study. Then he'll go to a radio program. He'll teach on that. Then he'll edit and upload it in addition to having a full-time job. I mean, his brother is phenomenal. And, he's, and he's I just hear him like, yeah. <laughs> I hear him yeah. sing songs, too. He got, he got the whole thing yes. with raps. Yes. Yes, my brother, he does it. I sing songs. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, he'll even come and set up our building. You know, I, I kid you not. I mean, I, I tell him oh, he's, he's in good health. He's a wise young man, but I thank God for him. I mean, he's really, uh, we have him to thank for that. We had brother Keith Henson uh, encouraging uh, and supporting as an elder that the program would not end you know that was a key and uh you know he fought hard that uh it would not end you know and uh he also appeared i think keith appeared one time on some uh older program i don't know if we ever got him recorded because it might have been before but you know we have a lot of great men who work at the congregation who do works you know and uh sisters who support who, you know, with their prayers and their support financially also. I can't thank my wife enough mm. for, you know, uh, encouraging me to be an evangelist. I actually have my wife to thank for encouraging me to be an evangelist. You know, uh, when we were at North Wayside, she literally, not only did she teach me about the church and got me baptized, she literally encouraged me to preach the gospel. Uh, she said, we need more preachers and she encouraged me. And it actually got to the point where she was actually disappointed in me for not wanting to do it. But, you know, uh, you know, uh, I too was disappointed in myself, you know, but, uh, brother Wilson, uh, brother, brother Wilson Whitley, uh, uh, brother Whitley, should I say, he, uh, encouraged me one day, uh, we were at a funeral. And I told him, I said, Brother Willie, I was thinking about preaching the gospel. I said, but I don't know. And uh, he said, sounds like he's scared. <laughs> and I just laughed. I tell him to this day when I see him, I say, Brother, you know, I said, you tagged me that night. He said, yeah, I knew I had to do something. He's like, you definitely scared. I was making excuses. I said, you know, once you told me I was scared, I realized, yeah, yeah, I'm like Moses. I need to go on and do it. And I thank him for saying it like that, you know, because he chimed in the same words my wife did, that, you know, you're afraid, but you can't be afraid, you know. And so I thank her, though, for initiating. And I always try to tell sisters, you know, encourage brothers, you know, whether you're married to them or not. If you are married to them, encourage them to do the work, you know, and uh, because you got to be a Deborah, you know. You got to be an Abigail to get brothers to get moving. You know, you can't just sit back. And we do hear the voice of the sisters, and it does cut deep to our soul, you know, and we do listen. You know, we eventually will move on it. And so I just want to encourage sisters, you know, don't give up. Tell these brothers, you know, to go back to worship, to unlock the doors of the church, you know, to do that which is right. Because God is watching, and he... We'll send an Abigail. He will send a Deborah, but you got to move on it, you know. 
Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know if you know, do you know, do, do you actually know how many subscribers y'all got to the YouTube channel? At last time I checked, you know, I, I don't always look at those things, but you know, I checked, I think it was around 5,000 at one time. I don't know if that number is 5.6, 5.6, uh, thousand subscribers. So it's amazing. Praise God. It's amazing. Praise God. So yeah, I, I, I tell you, thank God. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you for that encouragement, too, brother. The Lord is good, and He gets all the glory for that. You know, we thank Him for that. So I'd like to thank you for your time. We're going to uh, get ready to close out. Uh, if you want to see some of the work of their congregation, you can check them out at willclaytonchurchofchrist.com. Um, also, if you have your um, radio tuners ready, or if you got uh, tune in or whatever the case may be, any radio app you might have, you can check them out at KWW Gospel, um, Gospel 1360. Again, that's KWWJ. They have a radio program, The Unadulterated Truth. Uh, the initial voice you'll probably hear every Sunday at 3.30 p.m. Central Standard Time is uh, Henry Stevenson. Um, he co-labors with Brother Ozan as well as uh, Brother Frias. Um, and if you aren't able to listen to it live, you can catch them on their YouTube channel. Now, don't be thrown off. It says Wilson Road Church of Christ. And that's all one word, W-I-L-S-O-N-R-D-C-O-C. Uh, they used to go by Wilson Road Church of Christ. So if you hear those names, they um, go hand in hand. Uh, you can subscribe there. Like I said, there's over 5,000 followers. You can see their debates. You can see their radio programs and all the out the uh, snippets that are after the show, which are sometimes just as good as the show itself, <laughs> and all that serve all their uh, sermons and all their um, Bible study classes. So uh, you'll be greatly enriched by checking these things out, um, brother Ozan. I will probably have you on again, so I'll be knocking at your door again. Um, I'm thankful that you made time uh, for my new endeavor, and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate, um, again, all the time that you've taken out for me. Uh, you've taken time to talk to my mother and father. Um, it's hard enough to get an evangelist in my own city to spend the time that you spent with my family. Uh, so deeply, deeply uh, appreciative of everything you've done. Brother, call, I tell you, the first time we talked, brother, I knew uh, we'd be friends for life. Uh, and I also want to tell you, I love you dearly. Uh, your mother and dad, they're wonderful people. Love them so much. Uh, and, you know, brother, I just want to commend you. Uh, and I was thanking God and I'm praying for you when you brought the opportunity for me to uh, be a small part of contributing to this great podcast you have my brother uh very professionally done uh i'm just in awe of it uh i'm looking for some fantastic guests to be on that which uh i i will be in the shadow of but i thank you that you allow me to be a part of the great list that you will have but i want to tell you my brother uh i love the way you sound i love the way you handle it uh i'm looking at this to skyrocket, and I mean it sincerely, my brother. I think this was God pricking your heart to bring this forward. Uh, I know it's going to be great, 
And I know we're both going to be praying that it will be great. And it already is. But I want to commend you, brother, for having this type of strength, courage and energy and faith to do such a thing. Because, brother, we need this on the earth. Great men such as yourself, great father, great husband, great brother in the Lord, a teacher of the gospel and one that lives it to decide to take time from your family, your relaxation, if nothing more, in addition to all you do, brother, to share this with us. And I can't wait to talk it up, not because I've been a part of it, but I want to let it be known. Uh, I'd like for us also, I'll talk to the brother about it. We can give it some plugs on the radio program as well as you when you're ready, you know, for to get it off the ground. And I just want to thank you for having a thought. I want to first thank God for putting in your heart, brother. You are quite a brother in the Lord. You know, this is one of the things I have to thank God for my brothers that not only in addition has he allowed me to teach, but he has allowed me who am based to meet great men such as yourself. And I mean that from my heart, brother. I've made some of the greatest people on the earth, I believe, and you are one of them. And I'm just glad that I got to see this fascinating program with my own eyes uh, as you conceived it and as you're developing it. And uh, I know it's going to be fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. That, you just blew you just blew me away. I uh, just wanted to be able to provide a, a, a avenue. Um, I know for myself, and I'll speak for myself, you know, we, you grow up and you see all these guys and whether they intend for it or not, they're put on pedestals and you don't really know their whole backstories and the, the humanity of the everyday Christian is lost, you know, um, Sometimes we can become victims of our own ego. We can get puffed up. Um, we can lose sight of where we come from. Um, or we just, you know, we become buttoned up. And I think our backstories can become inspiring to those that feel like they don't have anywhere to turn. And that was just the whole principle of the show, um, liberation. And, and, and I'll have it in one of my commercials, if you will, that, um, it's, it's based off the scripture text that if you have the son, you are free indeed. And a lot of people are bound into their own corners once they leave the church. And I wanted liberation to be a show that's what is life like after you leave those four walls? Um, because, you know, as we discussed, you know, we talk to our ministers, we may talk to, an elder, a deacon, or a sister, but life is real, and life happens when you come back home, and sometimes we don't know every scripture to turn to. We don't know um, where where to find God, if you will, in certain situations, and I feel like our lives sometimes can be as much of a sermon as any of the 66 books. And we find ourselves wondering, Oh, I I can't be like such and such or sister, such and such. I'm I'm just not, you know, we've, you've talked about in the show. I I don't have that strength. 
I, I, I'm nothing like these guys. I'm, I'm lower than these people. When actually, you know what? A lot of these people had to pick themselves about the dirt too, and just wanted to make Christianity more human. Um, we've turned ourselves into superhumans, and we're really not. Um, it's you know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the what's quote unquote the heroes of faith. And it's astonishing that it mentions people in the cave. No names. There's just people in caves that just had enough strength and belief. And it's that type of motivation is what the show is all about. You don't you don't have to be the greatest name in the in the brotherhood or anything like this, but you have a story to tell. And I've heard a lot of stories that have like, okay, I've seen somebody that is is that has inspired me tell me their story, where they come from. I was like, well, what, what am I complaining about? Or, okay, if they can do it, I can do it as well. I got somebody tangible to look up to. You know, we, we got these scriptures and it's, it, you know, well over 2000 years old. So it's nothing tangible to put your hands on. And then unfortunately where you have people that have puffed themselves up, they put themselves on a pedestal where they can't even be reached. So this hopefully um, becomes the avenue where people can find humanity and Christianity and be able to experience God on a on a realer level. So that's the whole purpose of the show. Well, my brother, I tell you, uh, I can safely say that uh, I'm very impressed, and uh, you know, just the idea uh, to allow me to be a portion of what you're going to be doing is an honor. Uh, and I just want to say, you know, you, you do these things uh, in service to the Lord, but I do want to thank my wife, Frances. Like I said, she taught me the words, encouraged me to be an evangelist. And I thank my daughter, Sheena, for her love, uh, her forgiveness and things that she had to deal with as far as me being a dad uh, in life, as far as, you know, uh, having to, Share me and my time as with the work I have to do for the Lord. And thank my son, Stephen Jr., too. You know, he had to experience that same thing. You know, I, uh, I always thank them because it, it it is a task that people may not want to do because you do lose time with your family. But at the same time, you know, if you're wise, you can make time with the family and be wise enough to enjoy that time you have and cherish it. And then you have a family that is rooted and grounded in the faith because we're all Christians now as a result of one woman, Francis, telling one man about the Bible. You know, this is how it spreads. And brother, with the program you've got is fascinating in that it's going to also reach many hearts and we can't even count the number of saints that are going to be saved because of this idea that you've had being a faithful man of God to share stories like this and where other people will see, Hey, you know, I think I'm going to visit the church of Christ that that brother, the was talking about, you know, see what makes him want to talk about the faith at this level. So thank you, brother. I just want to really thank you. Thank God for you. No, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, again, Brother Stephen Ozan, Will Clayton Church of Christ. Please, please check out some of those sermons. I know you'll get 
not only a chuckle, but you'll also be inspired and you'll get the unadulterated truth out of everything he's saying. He's going to educate you. He's going to give you the Greek definitions. Oh, I, I can go endless about uh, this brother. Um, he's been he just doesn't know how much he's taught me from afar. So, Brother Ozan, thank you again. And I really do appreciate the time you took tonight. Thank you, Brother Clark. God bless you and your family. Love you dearly, my brother. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com. Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs for you. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, Doodlebugs by DeVita.